0: Hi, I'm Rob and welcome to the Uncut Network. Every month we rotate between directors, actors, and super specific genres. We cover everything from exploitation to things your parents will absolutely approve of and relative unknowns to household names. The Uncut Network is the movie podcast with all the nations and the cover, all of those things and more in the second half of our first ever actors month. I'm joined by Kat. Hello there. Hi. Ecliffe. Hello. And for the first time, Clitilde. Hello there. Hello. How are y'all doing this fine mid-September evening? That was off weirded off. How are you doing? How are we all doing? <laughs>
1: doing alright? <laughs> Had a nice chill weekend.
0: Uh, I've it very specifically because the episode that we just released, uh, it's like we recorded it in August and it just feels really weird. We're talking about something in past tense which has just happened. And it, we, the timeline gets all weird. So, you know but we're all good
2: yeah i mean i'm ready for autumn Mm -hmm. uh still not here where i am we're still mid-20s most days so i'm ready for cold yeah ready for rain me too
0: (laughs) yeah i've been on tiktok promoting the podcast recently and one of the things that i'm really enjoying is the fact that people don't realize that england the uk hate is different than other places hate it's doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Like in the 20s, Americans go, Ha, I laugh at your mid 20s, but no, it's it's hell on earth here. Oh, building design, designed to <laughs> murder not. people. <laughs> you are well, the most
1: northern is. bloke I've ever met, Rob.
0: <laughs> oh, I am not, <laughs> unless you've not met any northerners before. I
1: don't
0: know. <laughs> no it's just buildings in this country ants like like not block out heat the meant to keep it in and so when it's a little bit hotter it's
2: yeah so when it's mid 20s here my house upstairs is over 30 so and then there's no breeze outside so you can't sleep and having a 4 year old with with that is is not pleasant so yeah the heat the temperature technically is the same but the conditions in which we have to live are very different very very different I went over to Florida and it was warmer than this and it didn't bother me at all because wherever I stepped into, it was like walking into a freezer. I, I don't have that option here. I'm trapped in my, like, <laughs> sweat box. Yes.
0: Delightful sweat boxes in this country. Um, So this is the second episode, Coordinate First, because timelines are a funny thing in podcasts. It never works out how it's supposed to. Um, but this is... Actors Month. The actor that we're doing today is Anya Taylor-Joy. So because it's a different sort of formula for the podcast, we're doing it a different way. Usually we'd have movie at the beginning, movie at the end, two movies of a director or an actor or whatever, and just sort of chat and see how it goes. But in this sense, in this podcast, in this format, in the actors uncut of this podcast, um, we're doing it a bit different. So in the, I guess, the first half of the show... um bit more of a round table in the style of the podcast that we did on Patreon last night, in which we just take turns talking about a movie related to, in this case, Anya Taylor-Joy. And then the back half, we'll be doing our um, headline movie, which I guess is the the thing she's most well known for, which is The Witch. Um, So for this first part, uh, we'll start with Kat from Anya Taylor-Joy's filmography. Is there anything in particular you'd like to talk about as we uh, open up?
2: I mean, I love and you tell her joy I've been a big champion of her career. So in, in another life and another podcast, I could sit and talk to you through every one of her things. I think she is really clever with the projects that she picks. She can traverse various genres. She's done a lot of voice acting work. She's done television. She's done, she's done big blockbuster movies. She's done small independents. But my pick is 2022's uh, The Menu by Mark Malloyd. Uh it mm. was a film that I think I thought going into it, I knew where it was going and quickly realized that it wasn't. I thought it was very much gonna be it's called the menu, it was built as a horror. I thought we were gonna get like some cannibal literal eating of the rich people, but that's not what it is. It's a much more complex musing on the the classes and the differences between those in the service industry and those who employ them and use them and I just think that her performance as Margot is just really interesting it's obviously it's one mm. of her more recent roles but she is in everything she's in she's completely captivating but in this she's a really interesting character because she's kind of one of these twelve diners that's been invited to this private island to go to this fancy restaurant by Ralph Fiennes' um, uh, chef Slowick. And she she is there as a guest of Nicholas Holt's character, and she's very much not part of the rich elite, and it causes some nice friction between between everybody, especially her and the chef, because she's this person who wasn't supposed to be there and he's got these grand designs for the evening and she kind of throws a massive spanner in the works. And I just find it a really interesting film. And as somebody that hates cheeseburgers, that film does a really <laughs> good job at making people want a cheeseburger.
0: Yeah. I mean every I think every actor has at least one sort of iconic role and I think that has a pretty good shout of being hers I just like a cheeseburger. That is a brilliant little bit of a, I guess observation really.
2: Yeah. I mean we've all been we've all been to sort of like restaurants or whatever where you've been given a stingy portion. And you know, I know that through through my former work in film distribution, we got invited to events and stuff. And you would be sat at an award ceremony for several hours, and you would have a meal, but your meal would be, I think once it was like one slice of carrots, like half of a potato, <laughs> okay. and like one like thin slither of beef. And it's like, well, what is this? Like, I'm I'm, I'm still hungry. Yeah, but
1: I bet it tasted. I bet it tasted incredible. No, not if not this it, was. Right. Like I this. mean, I I live. I live for those kind of menus. I go to go to tasting menu type restaurants all the time. I um, absolutely love it. And no, I've never left hungry. They fill you up over, you know, whatever it is, eight through to, I've had a 19 course. Uh, you do not go home hungry from those places, no matter how small the individual plates are. Um, the menu, I, I mean, I did enjoy the satire on those kind of menus um, because obviously this, is there one dish that's just like, smells of food rather than anything to actually eat, I think, if I remember right. Um, it's it's an interesting film. She's great in it. Uh, Playing off against Nicholas Holt. Um, it's a flawed film in my book. I think that her secret backstory that emerges towards the back end of the film is a subplot in search of a point. Um, and, you know, I left, the, I left the film, funnily enough, unsatisfied.
0: It, it grows in my estimation in the more I think about it. Yeah, I'm a fan of the the menu I have to admit. I think it's she's it, it sort of symbolises one of the things that sort of consistent throughout her career. She's a great anchor character, a uh, character for everybody to relate to, despite being ever so glamorous. <laughs> you know. It it works.
2: Yeah, I mean she's obviously a very attractive young woman. You know, she's she's very beautiful, she's she's done modelling in, in her past, but I think she's one of those one of those actors that can transcend the typical bitchiness from women you know there's this women are constantly made to compete with each other <sighs> just it's just how we're brought up in this misogynistic society in which we live but there are a few actors and you know, out there who i think rather than seeing them as a threat cuz oh she's so pretty she's going to like steal my husband or whatever you can appreciate her for her work, she's there's something about her that, as beautiful as she is, she's relatable and she's not. don't you know. She doesn't come across as, as threatening as as some others perhaps might.
0: Hmm. Um. So moving the cliff highlights that stand out for you.
1: Well, the film I rewatched uh, in the lead up to this was Thoroughbreds from 2017, um, in which she stars as a uh, rich girl who's um, well, she's been paid initially to be friends and help with uh, the homework of one of her classmates who uh presumably is also a rich girl um so anya taylor joy's character is called uh lily and olivia cook plays amanda um, amanda's thing is that she's just never shows any emotion she's just like an emotionless kind of that's her thing i don't know whether it's meant to be like autism or something like that but uh <laughs> I don't know if it is, but I, I, I have a tendency to not be very emotional and I'm not autistic, so it's probably not that. Um, so I can kind of relate to that character. Uh, and and um, Lily, taylor Joy's character, has a horrible relationship with an absolute arsehole twat of her stepdad. And she realizes that she, uh, she could probably, she and Amanda could probably uh, convince a criminal that they know to murder her stepdad um, and i mean it's a bit weird that like two intelligent girls like that would choose this guy who who's obviously a complete fuck up and rely on him to do something that he's obviously going to make a mess out of <laughs> but but in between uh, the, yeah. the bits of plot you get these scenes of them just the two of them just sitting on the sofa watching old hollywood movies and chatting about them and i could watch them do that all day i'd like to see A sequel, really, where you get to see more of them. Um, The script could have done with a bit of a punch up, put some kind of jokes, some kind of Heather's type, you know, quotable lines in it or something. Um, But it's a really good film. It's set in a mostly in uh, Lily's parents or uh, their mum's huge mansion. And there aren't very many characters in the film at all. So it really feels like Lily and Amanda are kind of in charge of this whole world where, you know, they're the only two intelligent people. Everyone else is a a twat. Um, Yeah. One thing that does annoy me about it is that Olivia Cook and Anya Taylor-Joy, they're both British actors. And yet in this film, it's set in America. They put on American accents they're quite kind of lazy drools though that they're set in Connecticut. Yeah. I don't know if that's typical of the Connecticut accent. Um, I d- yeah. don't know why they can just say this is set in Britain and just, just speak with your regular voices, please. You know, um, I starting yeah. to get a bit grumpy about seeing British, ac- British actors having to put on American accents half the time when, and it's not just, it's not just that either. I mean, the, uh, drama series that's on, to, on BBC at the minute The Woman in the World. Wall uh, Ruth Wilson I love she's brilliant but and she's brilliant in this but even her putting on an Irish accent it's, it just it's kind of just uh, restrains her her brilliance just that little bit and I think actors are at their best when they're able to speak yeah. normally
0: it's um, sort of generic in, if it's any American actor doing English it's sort of generic posh sort of vibe and the mm. other way around it's, it's an American accent that doesn't really seem to be Planted anywhere, it's just very vanilla, and it just kind of takes you out of it a little yeah. bit because nobody talks like I ever have those cases.
1: Yeah, uh, but it's interesting. I did wonder if um the director was tossing up which way round to cast um Kirk and Taylor Joy, because um they could easily play each other's characters in that. And I think one of, I mean, the most striking thing about Anya Taylor Joy is those weird wide apart eyes she has that makes her look vaguely alien like without it making her look weird or you know ugly or anything she's beautiful but she's very strange looking and that would have worked perfectly for the amanda character as well to someone who's just a bit off
0: yeah it's a thing that you never mentioned there it just makes me sad about thinking about thoroughbreds is that uh sort of reprobate drug guy dealer whatever you want to phrase him as it was Anton on the Ocean, one of his i think it's one of his last roles that. His last
2: one yeah
1: yeah there's a dedication to it and in memory of at the end credits so he must have died before it come out
0: yeah but it's a it's an interesting movie that um i think his performances are better than the actual movie but i think that's true of so many of those sort of low-key indie crime movies mm. um like the actors elevate the material
1: yeah definitely um not just the actors, like I say that the the choice of setting in, in this huge sparse mansion, I think is a big part of what makes it work.
0: Hmm. Yes, uh, Clotilde. Anything from Anya Taylor Joy that sticks out for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, to me, it's always been the Queen's Gambit. I've seen her in other projects before the Queen's Gambit, but I think it was when I watched the series that I was like really like the most impressed with her acting. Uh, I think she's great, but um, yeah, The Queen's Gambit is a Netflix miniseries that follows this um, young orphan, Beth Harmon, who's played by Annie Taylor-Joy, from her childhood to like her rise to fame as a chess prodigy and her struggle with um, substance and alcohol abuse. And I, I think she really makes the series because obviously it's very centred on her. There's other important mm-hmm. characters, but I think something like The Queen's Gambit was really hard to show on screen because I've read the book as well after seeing the show and i think as much as you can like chess i think it's really boring to watch like i'm sorry (laughs) my dad loves chess he's obsessed like i understand it's interesting to play but i think to watch is like super boring so i think the fact that she made it interesting even to someone that like doesn't really know the game or is not really into it i think it's a it's just a proof of how good she is at acting
0: hmm I mean it's what's one of those things isn't it you got uh, movies about writers and how interesting can you make somebody at a computer or a typewriter and chess is yeah. the same it's I don't know how big the board is I don't know anything about chess but how how interesting can you make two people sort of moving little wooden Yeah
3: 100% pieces? and like I think cause my dad has dragged me to a lot of like chess competitions as well in real life and you're just like if you don't really know anything about chess you're just watching like little pieces on the board that mean nothing to you um and it's really hard to like understand kind of the stakes in that for obviously whoever's playing so I think something they did really well in the show was like really show how like each match is important to her and how like means it means something to her career and to her personally and yeah to me that was like the most excellent part of the show and I think she's amazing in it I, I love it. I have some little issues with it that I won't go in too much on because I wrote an entire essay about it so I could talk about it for ages, but okay. um, I think it's excellent and I think one of the reasons why it was so successful is because of her performance and how she makes mm. the character really, if not sympathetic, but at least somebody that you really care for, which I didn't really feel in the book as much personally.
0: Well, yeah, it's hard to relate. I mean, the thing that released it out for me in that show, it's, I don't know how to word this without sounding weird, but she, she's an actor who knows how to use her face. Does that make sense in the context of that show? It is I think um, it very does, reactionary, yeah. Because yeah. I think it goes back to sort of the very boring aspect of just chess being this flat game and somebody who acts with her face. I know some people, I can't even, I've digged myself in a hole now. I don't really know how to explain it. But yeah, it's her reactions. Uh, you mean like make Roger Moore, A lot you? of the time.
1: Well, you, might, you mean like Roger Moore?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. guess. Yeah, a bit better than an actor than Roger Moore. I mean, I don't know if that's <laughs> blasphemous to say it or not, but uh, yeah, like Roger Moore. No,
3: I know. Yeah, I I know what you mean. It's like you see everything on in her eyes. Basically, you don't really need like that's the context you need to understand what's happening. You don't need to know the rules of chess necessarily.
0: I guess we'll loop around to myself, and I don't really know what else there is to talk about. Um, we were going to be joined by another horse. They wanted to talk about Split, and I'll be honest, I have a big problem with M Night Shyamalan. I don't think he's very good, but oh, he's awful. Um, I think it was interesting because it came very early in their career. Um, I think it was about 2017, and I think it's important me to talk about that because Split uh, it's part of a trilogy, complete by what. I'm- breakable in glass was he up yeah. to
2: yeah that's right
0: and i do think that james mcavoy is excellent in it however it's also a lot of acting that he's doing because he takes i think uh they say 1.23 separate personalities um so, within yeah, him yeah, yeah. which vary from uh, like, uh, about eight year old child to uh, a woman character to a character that just called the Beast. So it's just basically uh, James McAvoy chewing everything all together. I mean, it was another version of this movie in the 90s. Oh, I've brain farted on it now. Um, Raising Kane, which was mm. effectively the same thing by um, Brian De Palma. De Palma. And, but I think the thing that makes this work is uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. She's the only reason why that movie even comes remotely close to working because she is the empathy character, and it's just something that she's, again, that we mentioned with um, uh, The Menu, she's so very, very good at being that point of emphasis, that point of relatability for the character in this very weird situation. Um, I do think it jumps the shark at one point when it talks about self-harm. I think that kind of kills the movie for me. It's very problematic, but...
2: Yeah, I think my issue with it I didn't necessarily mind it upon like my first watching the cinema and it had this unexpected reveal sort of end credits that oh my god it's part of the unbreakable universe and now there's going to be class but for me my issue is as it is with a lot of films it's that abused children become monsters and as a former abused child who hasn't become a monster I'm just really fed up of this trope getting shoveled down everybody's Mm. throat so it's kind of disappointed that Cheyenne decided to perpetuate that stereotype even further in split but it was you know it, it was a great after after the witch it was a great sort of boost to to her career and getting her name out there so I'll accept it on that basis because I think without the, that double whammy of Witch and Split doing so well, she might not have continued to ha- have the roles offered to her that she did. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of problems within some of the recent Shyamalan films to do with um, mental health and, and abuse.
1: But Shyamalan's just a dreadful writer, a really bad director. I'd say Split is one of his least bad films, but it's a very, very low bar. It's just... He's, yeah. Oh, he's awful. Yeah, he was good at the
0: beginning. <laughs> at least, at least I remember no, he him wasn't. being good. I don't know whether time yeah, was was sort of been cruel to it, but like, he went away for a while and then he came back and said Oh, he's great now. He he wasn't that dreadful like he was for those years away doing uh, post um, the village sort of output.
1: But he's, he's... I mean, we we did a episode covering his entire filmography on um, my podcast. A few months, well, a few years ago now, I suppose. Um, it was one of the most miserable months of film watching I'd ever had. <laughs> Everything we watched was awful for it. So <laughs> bad. Oh, wow. <well. laughs> I think we um, have actually outdone that with the one we did last month on Bigfoot movies. They were just oh, yeah. rock bottom. Yeah,
0: uh, I've seen a few. They're not great, <laughs> to no. put it mildly. Um, for the three of you, is there anything else without talking about The Witch that really stands out for you? Because I don't know. I don't want to touch on mm-hmm. everything, but surely there's more that sort of stands out for you.
1: Anybody? Yeah, I've got a couple more. I mean, I love Last Night in Soho. It's one of my favorite films of the decade uh, so far. Oh, wow. um, she is incredible in it, playing kind of. I, I suppose it's the film where she's most like herself, just playing, uh, you know, she's playing a kind of 1960s starlet um, or wannabe starlet, but she she looks natural she's speaking in her own voice um she's you know this is anya taylor joy pure (laughs) Mm. (laughs) um and also emma which i couldn't i mean a u-rated jane austen adaptation was you know not something i would normally watch but the fact that you get anya taylor joy and mia goth playing on screen together i mean how could i resist and uh, for all the problems I have with the storyline of Emma and the fact that it's almost impossible to relate to the weird um, kind of courtship rituals of the age, although I was thinking maybe they are relevant to people who use dating apps these days. Maybe it's kind of there's a parallel there. I don't know. Um, but Anya Taylor-Joy and Mirgoth on screen together. Absolute delight. mm
3: i agree i think emma also shows to me like how good she is a comedy i thought she'd uh, I, and a lot of people didn't like it that i know but i really enjoyed her performance in it and the comedic aspect of it as well which i don't think is super common mm. in the jane austen adaptation universe
1: no there's, there's often too much reverence to the you know important source text that uh, um i mean i think jane austen uh was probably considered a funny uh, you know a writer of funny scenes and that and uh, that version of the film certainly brings out brings out the comedy in it definitely um, yeah it's it's a fun watch that is so moral majority. You can't blame real life violence on entertainment. What? <laughs> what? Wait a second, yes you
4: can. Don't, don't you even watch the movies. Yeah, hello, the murderer was wearing a ghost mask, okay? Just like in the movie, it's directly responsible.
1: No, it's not. Movies are not responsible for our actions.
4: It's a classic case of life imitating art, imitating this life.
1: This is not a hypothetical. It's
3: not about art. I had biology with that girl. This is reality.
4: Thank you, I agree with you. Let me tell you about reality, Mickey. I lived through this, okay?
0: Life is life. It doesn't imitate any. Come on, Randy.
4: With all due respect, the killer obviously patterned himself after two serial killers who have been immortalized on film. Thank you, right? Are
0: you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab
4: 2? Who'd (laughs) want to do that? Sequels suck. No, way! Come on, man. Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. It's bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. Yeah. Aliens, far better than the first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. Thank you, Ridley Scott rules. Name another. No. <laughs> Aliens is a classic, okay? Get away from her, you bitch. I believe the line is stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got yeah. You. Whatever, you know what I mean. Another. T2. Mm. You've got a hard-on for Cameron. Ooh. Big one. But yeah.
1: well, wait a second. The first Terminator is historical.
2: Yeah.
0: Sarah Connor? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, all right, all right, okay. House 2, the second story.
2: Uh, what?
1: The entire horror genre was
0: destroyed by sequels. All right, I got it, by
4: the way. I got it. The Godfather, part two. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I no, I oh my God, <laughs> that's an Oscar winning <laughs> All right, that's enough. That'll be a wrap. The sequel discussion to be continued. Oh
1: no!
0: So, Mr. Originality, how would you make
4: it different?
1: I'd let the geek get the girl.
4: <laughs>
0: and now we're at a part of the show, we pick what's coming up on a future episode, and this one will be generous uncut. cut. Thanks, Robin. <laughs> 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 joke, I'm just as guilty of putting water on there. Um, but what we're going to be doing in an upcoming uh, genre's on uncut is post, uh, how are we wording this, 90s post Scream Slasher Boom There's a better yeah. way of wording that,
4: but that's what we'll do it's what it is yeah it's what it is i'm just realizing have um am i am i having a free fur am i being brought in into three podcasts in a row <laughs> i'm not sure
0: there's a lot of Absolutely. interest
4: in that one though a lot of people So, a, lot, a, a lot, lot of interest so who knows who knows which is an interesting era because it's both amazing and god awful at the same time <laughs> <laughs> there's some <laughs> which... great stuff I bet people are just absolutely clamouring to talk about *Scream Bloody Murder* from two thousand. Even heard of that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I have it. I have it on DVD. I can go grab it right now, just for a bit. Just for a bit. <laughs> just for a bit. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Hold on a sec. *Scream Bloody Murder*. *Scream Bloody Murder*. <laughs>
0: there we it's go. a real
4: film, I think. I've not watched it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> To put this over here. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to do Scream because you can't
0: do a thing about post ninety Scream slashes in it and do Scream. That's the yeah, it can't, be, it, it can't be. It
4: can't be post itself.
0: <laughs> I don't even know. There's just so many. Um, and some classics. I know a p- pivotal one for me will always be the grammatically garbage. I know what you did last summer. Yeah, I,
4: I think it's a. Fa- I think it's a fantastic film. I think it's really good. It's the really good the sequel needs to sort of get in the bin with a name like that It just it's just moves. the sequel's got jack black with dreadlocks quite frankly that one could be gone it does have jack black with dreadlocks uh, memory is a hell of a thing <laughs> and of course i do have a soft spot for valentine from 2001 which is not great but i think it's a pretty neat film is that the one with the slasher
0: who's got a giant baby head on
4: yeah and he gets nosebleeds and it's foul <laughs> <laughs> it's great He kills someone with a drip. He kills someone with an iron. He kills someone with an iron, he picks it up by the wire and swings it into their face. (laughs) That's mean as fuck. Laundry day. (laughs) It's like a preview of the episode here, Rob and Robin geeking out over their best killing. Oh yeah, it's gonna happen. It's league, gonna your league, happen. Your league, your league of gentlemen, Grant. Uh, uh, your league of
0: gentlemen. <laughs> you, how,
4: how, many, how many killings? <laughs> I could could Richard I I I beat Jason. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch seven. It's only got seven killings in it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that should saying.
0: be a fun one. That should be a fun one, though. I mean, obviously we're not going to do like all the killer ones. We have to do one which is absolute garbage, because it's just what's the point otherwise? It's
4: true, it's true. You gotta get it, but but unfortunately, that wait, I, I know it's not. Po- I know it's not part of the theme of post-scream, but you know, you gotta get, you gotta get ice cream, man. Which might be older. <laughs> gotta get ice cream, man. With Clint Howard in. The- <laughs> Clint Howard's starring role as the ice cream man. <laughs> I know, I'm flat, yeah. Just out of curiosity,
0: is Nico Mastrewark has done this? Because I don't want to ever watch another one of his movies again.
4: <laughs> oh, yes, oh, i Oh, I can figure that out. I can figure that out. And the answer is, I don't think he made any Slashers post 96. Uh, well, <sighs> uh, I mean, apart from the delightful, not <laughs> slasher, but <laughs> dot com for murder. Yeah. Yeah. It haunts <sighs> <holds> my dreams. <laughs> he is not he's he's an evil man nico i i love nico nico is my favorite person on earth i i i I send him happy birthday nico messages i i want to make nico uncut (laughs) i don't i don't he torments me i I hope he's on the list but i also don't because oh my
0: god he would if if you don't have a like a movie that you've seen that's the worst you've ever seen,
4: watch an eco-mastorakis one. He has about five at least. <laughs> I, I think really I know. think actually actually Nightmare at Noon's pretty decent. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him that one. Nightmare at Noon is a pretty decent film. Dotcom uh, for Murder is not. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm uh, glad I watched Island of Death. I'm not sure I would say it's good, but it happened, and I. So, for it... being apparently the UK's Nico Mastarakis expert, I I've not actually <laughs> seen Island of Death. I have seen a whole three of his films, uh, one of which I like. Uh, so oh, there right. you go. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. I think we should put Nico on direct own card. <laughs> kind <of> tempted. <laughs> like Philip,
3: I conjure thee to speak to me. Speak as to speak to Jonas and Mercy. Thou understand my English tongue?
4: Answer me
1: What dost thou want? What canst thou give?
0: leads us to the back half of the show in which we're talking about the movie which um the actor anya taylor joy is probably best known for 2015's uh, the witch by uh, breakout director then uh, robert eggers So, who wants to take uh, a stab at running the synopsis for this um and please don't do it in old english do it in in normal english you'll be fine <laughs>
1: Um, so, um, set in shite, when's it even set? Is it 17th, 18th century? 16th century. In 1630s, thank you, cat. So, in 1630s, America, um, Ralph Innocent and Kate Dickey and their family have settled in New England, uh, but they've been driven out of the Christian sect that they were part of and are having to go it alone in a quite ramshackle house in the in the forest uh they're trying to be corn farmers the crop hadn't done that well and then all of a sudden their baby is stolen apparently by a witch and this just leads to a load of uh infighting within the family and mysterious goings on with a goat
0: (laughs) very open-ended and completely open with interpretation synopsis there uh tell what are your feelings on on The Witch?
3: I think I so it's not the first film that I watched of her, but I think it was one of the first that like kind of launched her career. And I think it shows some of her like her best qualities as an actress. I've always thought she was very um transformative in the sense that she can really play different people. I feel like with a lot of actors you tend to kind of put them in a box and always associate them with that particular actor, that particular not did I say that particular role is what I meant hmm. and I think with Anya Taylor-Joy it's really like I feel like she could play many different things and for me because I watched it after watching other projects of her the witch really showed that because I, I think I watched Emma and the Queen's Gambit before so obviously it's very different.
0: Hmm. Um, Are you a fan of horror does it work for you in that sense?
3: Uh, I'm very like particular with horror like it's so if I if I hate it, it's good, if that makes sense. Like if it scares mm. me, I'm not gonna like it, but that means it's a good film. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, I follow. Follow the logic. Yeah.
3: But um, so in that sense, I thought it was a good film. Because whenever something really scares me, I'm like, Oh, I hate this, but in the sense that it means it's well made.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kat, what are your feelings on on The Witch?
2: I I love The Witch. Um it's I remember, I think my editor saw it out of Tiff and he was like, oh, this is a horror film and you, you, you're going to like love it. And then it was a few months, I think, before it actually came over to the UK. And this is, this is Anya Taylor-Joy's first main feature role. She was like 18, 19 at the time of filming. And by her own admission, she hadn't really had any acting experience up to this point. So what you're seeing is kind of her au naturel without any sort of training. And... I remember going to – because it ended up getting a really wide release by Universal, and I went on opening weekend to uh, Braintree Cinema in Essex and – Essex people are lovely, but they're not necessarily known for being particularly into their 1630s New England lingo. Uh, and I got down, I got in the cinema screen and I sat down and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to go horribly. People are going to be talking, they're going to be on their phones, they're going to be walking out. And they didn't. They all sat there completely transfixed, which I think is is testament to Edgar's writing and, and work, but also to her performance as Thomason. Um, it just... I mean, there was people that when we were leaving in the foyer were like, I don't know what we just watched, but they had sat there and they were transfixed enough that they didn't cause any disruptions. So I think in this day and age, if you get a, a public screening that's busy and everybody behaves, that right there is a testament of a good film. Um, and who can say no to Black Philip? You know, that that's just the name of every goat now when you, when I take my little one to the farm, there's a black goat. Look, it's black Philip over there. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great, and just, I just love the fact that they kept the language of, of the period. Yeah, Is mm-hmm. I mean, as yeah. much as I was a kid at school that hated like sort of studying Shakespeare for all of his, you know, all of his weird constructions of sentences and stuff. I really enjoy watching the witch and, you know, Does does the house want to live deliciously Has the most irritating children Contenders for the most irritating children In in horror though (laughs) Those twins Um, I think Yeah Um, I think the
1: language is really important For uh, making you believe In their You know Their complete devout religiosity I think if it was If the language had been modernised a bit It'd be like Why are these people like this? But because they're talking in such you know, Old English, Middle, Eng- Middle English, whatever it is. I'm not a not lexicologist. Lexic- lex- lexicologist, that's a thing, isn't it? I'm not <laughs> one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, because they're speaking in the the actual language of the day, all their God talk, all their stuff about Jesus and everything, it just sounds believable and right. You can understand why they are motivated to act in the way that they do.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's always such a crutch, isn't it, using Old English? Um, when they don't do it, and it's period set. I think uh, I can't remember, but I think uh, Fear Street was particularly weird with its uh, age, oh, yeah. well era appropriate language. It sort of takes you out of it a little bit. it's it sort of mm. it's good for the movie, but it will keep people at arms length that sort of language because it is very dense, and when you've got very. I mean, it's authentic as a day is long and it's got brilliant actors doing it. I mean, I think it was the movie that really put Ralph Inneson on the map. I think people would just know him as he's that guy with the really deep voice. Yeah. He does a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the movie where people knew about him.
1: I was waiting for him to do his Wix advert slogan, which It's got our name on it. So yeah. I, I can't get it remotely <laughs> as deep as him. Yeah. <laughs> Witch. But, uh, <laughs> Witch. <laughs>
0: uh, It's a great movie, and uh, it's one of the... I I rediscovered horror around the time that this was coming out because I fell out of it pretty damn hard. Um, And, yeah, this one got me back in entirely because that last act, I think, is terrifying, honestly, especially in the cinema and the way it sort of ratchets up the tension and the the betrayal and things just going wrong. It's it's horrifying, and it largely keeps it in the second and the rewatch as well.
2: Yeah, the imagery in this film is insane. Katie, Dickie, breastfeeding a raven. That is just, that is what nightmares are made of. That is, it's a really, a really terrifying image. The fact that after the
1: baby's stolen, it then cuts immediately to the witch killing him and cooking him. It doesn't say, yeah, you'd expect it to sort of be a mystery. Oh, I wonder what happened to to the baby then. That'd be like the main focus of the film. But no, no. The baby disappears. Oh, look, this is why. It's dead. It's been cooked.
0: Yeah, and Anya taylor the is particularly fearless in a choice of this role, because this isn't sort of a welcome to the world of acting. He is a gently, gently, nicely, nicely role <laughs> that doesn't really demand much of you. Um, I think it ends with her walking... Well, it does, actually. It ends with her walking naked through the woods after her entire family has been brutally murdered, some via subterfuge, some by a... a, a, a kicking people's head in so it's it's a bold choice
2: yeah and i i like the fact that she was the first audition tape that robert eggers actually saw so every audition tape that came through after that he would have been comparing it to to her and then just decided no she's she's it and I imagine that there was potentially some better-known actresses that auditioned at the time, and for him to go on this unknown based off of a, a self-tape, I think shows that he obviously saw something, and the two have continued to work together. So I think it's a it's a really important relationship that was formed between the two of them on this film.
0: She's. I mean, I don't think anybody else is in the lighthouses. Unless there's like some really obscure cameo yes, that he's that's, somehow sneaking there.
1: No, no, that's just Defoe Patterson and whoever plays the mermaid.
2: Yeah, she did yeah, really I mean. want to she did really want to be in it, but she um she like begged him for a part. I think she even said, I will be like the mermaid. Um, but he wanted <laughs> to keep the attention on Defoe and Patterson.
0: And uh, in the Northman it's kind of a it's an important role, but it's not a big one.
2: She doesn't turn up to the second
1: half, but she's a major character in the second half, certainly. Um,
0: yeah, absolutely. I consider the, um getting you back into the conversation here.
3: I was just thinking that, like you all mentioned, the old English, and it made mm. me realize that I watched it dubbed in Italian, so I actually didn't realize that, and now I want to watch oh. it in English because in Italy, all everything is dubbed. So I, I think, yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't think about the fact that I would. I didn't watch the original one. I feel like I missed out because obviously that's, that wouldn't have translated, I
0: hmm. I assume. So, so was the language in the Italian dub? Is it sort of older English, uh, older sort of style of Italian? Or...
3: It's hard to say, but yeah, I think, if, I it yes, in a way you, you do know it's not like the kind of common language, but at the same time, I think it doesn't strike as weird, perhaps, as the old English would. Like it's still something that doesn't completely kind of stun you when you listen to it. That's what I remember anyway.
0: Oh, that's really interesting, that. I didn't think yeah. they'd, they'd do that across different dubs.
3: I feel like it's a, it's a shame because it does lose some of some of it, I think, even though I obviously have to watch the original one now.
0: Has anybody got anything particularly they want to talk about with uh, The Witch, whether it's related to Anya Taylor-Joy or not? What
1: well, is it's interesting is said that it got you kind of back into horror because... Hmm. Um, and I'm just trying to think when, when did the whole kind of idea of elevated horror first come about? I suppose the Babadut was around this, not this wasn't, But it was, yeah. So, but it was definitely part of that early stage of, and I I know a lot of people hate the phrase elevated horror, but I think uh, looking at the development of horror over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, I think it's a really important um, phase where, um, you know, film started. Uh, getting darker and more serious and having themes that, you know, horror hadn't really bothered with that much for the last few years. Um, And to the point now that mainstream uh, crowd pleasers like Talk To Me are basically doing what elevated horror was. So I think it's really important to say, you know, horror did get elevated and change during that period due to these kind of art house films. And um, so, yeah, The Witch is certainly important uh in that aspect and and in the Im- general improvement of horror over the last few years
0: i just explain sort of the, the thought process behind that i mean i fell in love with horror when it was sort of uh asian tartan extreme sort of the j horror boom in 2098 mm-hmm. around that sort of era um and around that era the american stuff wasn't great let's be honest there's lots yeah. of Late era, sort of sa- slasher ripoffs and slasher sequels yeah. and slasher riffs. And it went into. Scream
1: and all this, everything that ripped off Scream. And yeah. And it was more about. And, uh, you know, yeah. beautiful teenage movie stuff. Well, not teenage, beautiful college age movie stars rather than being scary or interesting.
0: And then it went into sort of much darker, uh, more graphic stuff uh, as inspired by the popularity of. Um, saw, and then there was stuff that was inspired by the success of Paranormal Activity, and again, it was just a lot of, Mm -hmm. it's fine, it's just not for me, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't until around this, where I thought yes, this is a bit more classically minded horror, The Witch in particular, it's not like uh, it's not designed to be here are some sort of very disposable situations where a group of people are just supposed to negotiate and survive, it's a story about a family being destroyed really um, through religious reasons, through cultural reasons, and through just picking the really the worst place in the world to set up a, a new place to live. Really, um, and also it's just there's lots of horror movies that are based in studios, shot out of studios. As far as I understand it, this is all location based, and again, there's just it's something that hits a bit differently about being shot in somewhere which is as striking. As, as this is, in the middle of nowhere, America. I mean, I'm assuming it's America. There's lots of movies that shoot in Hungary or uh, somewhere around that part of Europe, and they just say, oh, it's, it's, it's Northern England or something. But, no, it's, yeah, this one really got me back in.
1: Mm.
2: It's also this coming-of-age story about this young woman who doesn't necessarily identify with her parents and her family's beliefs, and it's her sort of finding her finding her place in the world.
0: Kind of very timely in that respect, isn't it? There's lots of... Uh, my generation, uh, I guess I'm kind of cast as an older millennial, uh, which we don't agree with our generation ahead of us, or our parents, or, or what have you. Not going to politicise it or anything, but it, it's a message which is very relatable to, to now, I guess.
2: I mean, what young girl doesn't want to go off and like
1: be a witch? Just, you know... <laughs>
2: Very true. I agree.
1: <laughs> it was shot in Ontario, Canada. Well, that yeah, makes yeah
0: pretty much on brand for where it's supposed to sort of be. So, yeah, but yeah,
1: kind of definitely the same kind of region.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, this. I also, I think this is the movie which is largely responsible for rehabilitating the witch as well, I think as a a thing to be used in horror movies. Because around this time, I can't think of anything before, but after it, yes, absolutely
1: well it's always a difficult one isn't it because because of how you know witches obviously aren't real and are just a you know mm. misogynistic excuse to persecute women even execute them um and then when you have a film especially the films where it looks like they're they're you know exposing the hypocrisy of the witch finders and then at the end it turns out oh no she really is supernatural <laughs> like, ah you've just ruined the point you know uh but but a film mm. like this that is just supernatural through and through it's fine don't have i don't have a problem with that
0: hmm yeah because there is some great witch movies uh i'll always recommend the uh, witch hammer which is a Czech movie which is mm-hmm. a real horrible bugger of a movie but
1: uh yeah I'm a big fan um, of mark of the devil
0: not quite that but i will yeah is there anything else anybody wants to talk about with uh the witch um
3: I think we covered everything that I was thinking of.
0: Anything you want to re-retouch on? Anything that you have a different spin on maybe?
3: Um, I really like um Last Night in Soho. I watched it recently. Again, I had watched it previously. Um and I just think all the acting is amazing in it, but Anya Taylor Joy like always kind of strikes out to me. I don't know why. I think maybe what has been said already about like her using her actual voice and stuff like that, but it's just one of the performances that she did that really stayed with me the most. Maybe.
0: Hmm. Uh, Cliff. Uh, Cat. Anything else beyond the witch or on the witch in particular?
2: To say I I like how she's kind of she's kind of carried, uh. Her witchiness with her, and one of the things that she always has in her purse is a pack of tarot cards. And so, at like parties and stuff, she really? whips out the tarot cards and and reads her friends' uh, tarot, which is it's not the typical thing that a twenty-seven year old girl is carrying around in in her purse. And I just kind of like that she she is a little bit she's a little bit kooky, like in in real life.
0: Hmm. I mean, that entire actor generation seems to be a little bit as well. Brian there, uh, would w- weird off flag, and the uh, choice of roles are really weird. I mean, she's just this year also done uh, the Mario movie. I think she was Princess Peach. Princess Peach. Oh, yeah, yeah, I
3: keep forgetting she did that. In my mind, she didn't do that, but <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, for an actor have her uh, success in her generation, like it's perfectly normal for her to have done it. But also, her body of work just, that's really, really that's the weirdest thing that she's done.
2: Oh, she's I also know, done the Playmobil movie. movie. She did the Playmobile movie um, previously, and that is um, <laughs> starts live action with her and her brother, and then they like go into the Playmobile world, and then it becomes voice acting. Um, so, yeah, she's she, yeah, she's, <laughs> she does pick a wide variety of stuff, which is nice because it means that there's some Taylor Joy stuff that I can actually watch with my daughter without traumatizing her too, too intensely.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else? Movies passing by. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: Yeah, she hasn't always made the greatest choices because she was, of course, in that um, really terrible Spanish horror horror film, The Secret of Marrowbone, which, you know, even Anya Taylor Joy and Mia Goth are on screen together in that one, but it doesn't make it
2: any good. I like The Secret of Marrowbone. I actually worked at E1 when The Secret of Marrowbone came out and I thought it was a really interesting idea. And my manager was um spanish and she like the the house was exactly how her grandma's house was and stuff it was was really authentic to to that to that period and it was trying to be something different it it had it had some twists and turns to it okay charlie heaton from stranger things i think they all do do a great job in that film so i would i would respectfully disagree
1: Fair enough. I think I I have an issue with um, modern Spanish horror a lot of the time because I I just find it very syrupy, very sentimental. I bl- I blame um, things you know things like the orphanage and that. I just don't get on with them. They rub me up the wrong way.
0: Hmm. Well, don't try Indian horror then because that's just moral morality plays through and through, and there's nothing else to them.
1: No, 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 no. I mean, there's, I've seen some good Indian horror, but um, yeah, It's 'cause because that's a bit wilder and weirder. Yeah, I guess. No smoking is probably the best best Indian horror film I've seen. It's not really horror, but it's based on Stephen King.
0: Mm, horror, horror adjacent. Um so wrapping up, um, it's kinda of hard doing an early episode of this on an actor which literally has the entire uh career ahead of them, the world of possibility is open to them. But um I guess it's just an open ended question. What do you think that open road is for Anya Taylor Joy? What do you think she has ahead of her in the future? Not sort of playing sort of sousa and predicting, just sort of in this general sense of what do you think her career what would you like her career to be as a fan, I guess.
3: I would like to see her do more comedy actually. Because I thought she would I just I just think that would be fun to see. And I think she's I think she's really good at it, but it's easy to forget because she hasn't done as much of it, I think. So I would love to mm. see that and maybe also like more stuff where she can use her not like Normal accent rather than having to put on um, an American accent necessarily.
0: Is it an English? Is an English accent she has because she's uh, American-born oh. to Argentinian yeah, American yeah. It's parents.
3: Fine, actually, I kind of assumed no, no, after does. watching Emma that she did, but yeah,
1: she does. Yeah, uh,
0: because she's very um, geographically twisty as
1: yeah. a person. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. yeah. Which
2: is very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, she's got triple citizenship. She's uh, American, Argentine and English.
1: Didn't know you could do that. <laughs> well,
2: yeah.
1: Um, so I, yeah, Cliff. I thought if you were getting American citizenship, you had to renounce all others.
2: Well, oh. she was born in America, so she is. Yeah. yeah. And on the other countries, yes. Yeah. And then her dad is Scottish argentinian and her mother is i think her mother's like french or something so through her parents she has the the other nationalities
0: wild yeah. well yeah going back to that uh, A question again to cat uh, uh, yourself first
2: i would like world, her yeah. to go on to have a career that, that lasts a long time i'd like to see her become like a like a, a Judy Dench or a Helen Mirren type where we're still watching her like long into like her seventies and eighties and she's still making interesting choices. And I'm just I'm really excited to see future collaborations with with her and Eggers because I think the pair of them are one of those sort of like dynamite director-actor pairings. And I can't wait to see what she does with Furiosa. You know, she's doing the prequel where she's taking Mm. on the younger version of Charlize Theron's character from Mad Max Fury Road. Um, Because that's going to be a very central role, but in a genre that she's not necessarily done too much of. Hmm.
0: Because I assume it's going to be sort of straight car action again, like the entirety of the Mad Max series. But is it George Miller who's doing that still? Or is that passed on to New hands?
2: I think it is George Miller still, yeah.
0: Hmm. So I assume it'll still be uh, vehicular combat. Yeah, that will be interesting.
2: Yes, because she's learned to drive for the film, but she doesn't actually have a driving licence. So she can do all of these stunts (laughs) and stuff in the car, but she's not actually got a driver's licence. I remember reading an interview with her. So, yeah, she can do all of these, like, handbrake turns and, like, a needlepoint sort of thing, but she can't drive down the road to the shops because she's not officially got a a driving (laughs) licence.
1: That's a wonderful... Three passports, no driving licence. Exactly. Bloody hell.
0: That's a wonderful bit of trivia, <laughs> And
1: And uh, Cliff? Um, well, obviously, speaking selfishly, selfishly, I'd like to see her do lots of films that I want to watch and uh, a few films that I have no interest in. So I hope she never goes into the Marvel or DC universes because I would have no interest in any of that. Yeah. Um, you know, more. Uh, I'd like to see her do... Yeah, take take the path that Mia Goth's been taking. Yeah, just weird shit, art house shit, horror, and uh, and a collaboration with Last Montria be the icing on the cake. Is he retired now? Uh, I hope not. I think he's got something coming out, and um, he, I mean, his most recent thing was The Kingdom Three, which yeah. was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I'm not much really that. really cool.
1: Um, yeah, I think he's making something else. Can't remember mm-hmm.
0: what. Well, I, I don't we- think she would do. Marvel and DC. She doesn't seem She
2: already like, has done. She already has done, guys. She? she did the The Young Mutants, you know, the film oh. that never got released. Yeah. So. Oh, I had no idea.
0: <laughs> I forgot yeah, that existed.
2: She, yeah. <laughs> well I mean, well, like, it, it was that film that was it was always coming soon and then the pandemic happened and then it was like still always coming soon and then eventually they kind of released it. But yeah, she's in it's in the the new mutants and obviously um if she's gonna follow a Mia Goth's path, then she's gonna go back there because Mia Goth's just been casting blade. Hello. Oh, no. Oh, oh, oh Mia, why, why just <laughs> sorry? <something>
0: like <laughs> well, I don't, uh, even so, I mean, there's some actors who entirely hitch the entirety of their career tense to Marvel, and then they sort of, you can't really separate them from that entire sort of uh, behemoth. Um, I mean, it, look at, uh, if I always forget what she's called, it's one of the uh, Olsen um, sisters.
2: Elizabeth Olsen.
0: Yes, as she said, she kind of hated it and... She's glad to be sort of um free and able to do uh new stuff and different stuff. And I feel that's the sort of same vibe you get from uh, Anya Taylor Joy. She might do it, but I don't think she feels like she, she always on the she's an outsider. She really has that feeling of being an outsider in the industry. And not an awful lot of people like that really, that same sort of uh pedigree and feeling and and stuff that they produce.
1: You know, I'd be happy just watching her do a ten-year stint a stint on EastEnders, to be honest. You know, um,
0: no comment.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that about uh, wraps it up. Um, in the next uh, episode coming up, we start the very first genres month, which is two episodes all dedicated to the nineteen nineties. Um, so. That's always fun. Uh, just for clarity, what order t- they're released in? Time shall tell. Recording these out of order kind of makes this the, the gift that keeps on giving, depending on how I feel in a certain editing day. <laughs> but the two themes that will be coming up on those two 90s genre months, uh, post-90s, uh, post-scream slashers, I guess, was the phrase that we went with, and then uh, 1990s teen movies, which is possibly... The broadest genre term that exists, because '90s teen movies is everything under the sun. Yeah. Um. Frankly, it was a great era to be a film fan. Um. But yes, I, I think that wraps up for the second episode of Actors Uncut under the Uncut Network umbrella. Um, kat, where can we find you uh, online?
2: Uh, so I am at Gizmo Shikari on Letterboxd, Twitter and Instagram and cathues.bsky.social on Blue Sky. Hmm.
1: Cliff? Uh, I'm at S M O G O on Twitter um, and you can hear me on the award-nominated <coughs> Level Times Five Horror Podcast. Um, we've just been, uh, we're up for the our best horror supernatural podcast in the independent podcast awards mm. which uh, there's a ceremony at the end of october in king's cross cannot wait uh and in fact earlier this this year we did an episode called post screen slashes mm. so
0: you can hear there's them. a lot of them
1: yeah um and
0: cotilde
3: i'm at thompson chloe on twitter letterbots and blue sky and my instagram is the proxy being chloe which is very long
0: Excellent. And check out all those places and the links will be in the description below. And good luck with those awards there, Cliff. And
1: thank you. Yes,
0: um, You can check out myself on social media at Uncut Robcast. If you like this show and want to support and want a little extra, one of these Patreons, which is really nicely affordable. Um, We've got a few podcasts that are running. Uh, One, I think we... The uh, VHS series should be live by about now. Um, our longest from, from the video aisle series uh, following both Wreck and Cube Wreck um, was the strongest so far I'll, I'll just say that and Cube was horrible <laughs> I I'll, I'll let people t- uh, subscribe and find out for themselves but um, yes um, until next time thank you for listening and uh, this has been Uncut Network